0: Hey, everybody, it's Chad Gordon.
1: And Ken Blanchard.
0: Ken, this is one of my favorite things I get to do with you. We pick out our favorite podcasts of the year, and this one is with Natalie Kogan. She's the author of the book, The Awesome Human Project, Break Free from Daily Burnout, Struggle Less, and Thrive More in Work and in Life. And Ken, it's so important. If you want to be a servant leader, you have to work on yourself as well, don't you?
1: Yes, and I think that burnout is a real common thing now with the craziness of Of life and and you got to get in touch with what's bothering you and what's happening with you because you can't be with your people if you aren't comfortable with where you are and all of the leaders I know who are a problem that think everybody should suck up the hierarchy are just kind of hiding the fact that they don't want to deal with what's bothering them and so I think this is really powerful stuff that that she has to say
0: Such great insights. And Ken, we're going to hear from you at the end of the podcast as well. But let's not take any more time. Uh, Welcome to this edition of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast.
0: Natalie Kogan, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm awesome. I'm so grateful to be here.
0: I'm so grateful that you're here as well, because, you know, I get to talk to so many different people and so many different researchers. And and at the core, I think what we try to accomplish on the Leader Chat is, is people want to better themselves, better themselves, better themselves. They, they They work with other people, develop other people. And what you do and what you've kind of devoted your life to around kind of, you know, making yourself better and and, and the happiness project. I'm just so intrigued by that. How did you get rolling with this fun stuff?
2: Uh, Well, I I didn't do it in a fun way, (laughs) I guess is the answer. Uh, You know, when I was growing up, it's not like I was like, hi, when I grow up, I want to run a company called Happier and have a happier method and help people, you know, struggle less. That was not it. Um, I came to this um through a lot of struggle. You know, I grew up um in Russia. I came to the u s. as a refugee when I was a teenager with my parents, an experience that was incredibly challenging. as you can imagine, we literally came with nothing. And I kind of always believed and that experience cemented in me, this idea that anything in meaningful in life, you have to struggle, and it's the right thing. And so, I worked really, really hard and I uh, accomplished a tremendous amount. I, you know, built a really successful career in finance and technology and started five different companies and wrote books and had a family and did all the things, like honored really my American dream But the whole time I really struggled inside and I felt exhausted and I never, ever, I mean, words like self-care were ridiculous to me because, you know, I was a superwoman who needs self-care and I really struggled. I didn't know what to do with any kind of normal, difficult feelings of doubt or anxiety. So I just ignored them all. And then several years ago, I went through a really severe burnout. Um, More than that, actually, I've called it a breakdown in being. I just stopped being able to function. Um, And it was really scary. Uh, because for the first time, I couldn't just push. I couldn't just will myself through um, as a leader. I mean, I was running a company called Happier, if you can imagine, and here I was, you know, in the darkest place um, as a mom, as a human, and um, as scary as that was, uh, it was a blessing in a way because it forced me for the first time in my life to consider my relationship with myself and my work and. Um, learn how to live and work and give and contribute in a different way. And so I went on this journey of doing a lot of research and going really deeply into Eastern and uh, disciplines of yoga and, you know, doing all kinds of research to help myself heal and do work that I love without um, constantly sacrificing my being and my well being. And in the process, I developed what we now call the happier method that I am so grateful and lucky to teach to companies and teams and tens of thousands of awesome humans. Um, And that's how I got to where I am today. So it definitely was not by design, but I I truly, truly, truly feel um, that this is what I'm meant to do. And I pinch myself for that every day.
0: I love it. It it you're you're an entrepreneur of emotional fitness. I mean that, mm. that is just the the focus for that is just so unique. And you've created such a great niche. And your newest book, The Awesome Human Project. I mean it it really is about taking what you've learned and taking you know by some of your struggles and, and some of your concerns, you've actually went out and found science based reasons and ways. Mm. And overcome this. So, mm-hmm. so, let's let's dig into the book a little bit, and and why did you why did you feel like this was the right time? Because I assume this wasn't a COVID related book. This was something that no. was necessary before. <laughs> but my gosh, talking about being being there where the market really needs you, because we have changed quite a bit from pre COVID mm. and how we deal with our day to day.
2: Yes. Yeah, it was not a COVID book. the book was first conceived. It's my second book in the last four years. My first book came out four years ago. It's called Happier Now. So this was conceived three years ago before any of us could imagine what was happening. Um, I guess there was some kind of, you know, divine guidance that, because I think it is the book we all need right now. The, you know, the subtitle of the book is Break Free from Daily Burnout, Struggle Less and Thrive More in Work and Life. And um, as you say, the book is part my personal story and what I learned from being this overachiever who pushed myself beyond the brink, who thought that to be a servant leader meant to be a martyr leader, mm. um, meant to sacrifice myself for my team, which um, was one of the things that brought me to burnout. And so, I do share my personal experience and lessons I learned. And as you mentioned, you know my my methodology is based on a lot of research. I kind of my, the combination for me is. I, I teach everything through a personal lens. That's just my way. Um, but I, what's important for me in the book is, and the promise I make to the reader when they undertake their awesome human project, I tell people it's a book you do. It's not a book you read. You don't sit back in a chair and read this book. There's a five-week emotional fitness challenge. There's something like 50 different practices. But my promise to the reader when they go through the book, when they do the practices to actually like, that's what emotional fitness is. It's a skill like physical fitness. We can improve it through practice. My promise is that no matter how challenging life or work are, and challenges are constant in life, um, they will learn to improve their inner experience, to struggle less. And when we struggle less, we have more energy, more of our capacity to give to be a force of good at work or in our families, and that's my promise in the book. And so it's 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 both personal, and um, I take you by the hand, as one of the reviewers said, and I guide you through this emotional fitness um, experience and learning experience. So you actually create by the end after you go through your awesome human project, you have this toolkit of these skills and practices to help yourself struggle less. So you can do all the things that you truly actually care about.
0: The book's called the awesome human project, break free from daily burnout, struggle less and thrive more and work in life. And I like your approach and your take on burnout. And I think about mm. the last couple of years, um, there was a time where everybody was was just kind of sitting still and kind of walloped by what what was happening to us mm-hmm. and, and and we're trying to figure out our place and, and our companies were trying to survive. And now we're back in it. And I think that to a person, everybody feels that they've never worked harder and they've never had mm-hmm. more on their plate. Um there is there there's value to actually be able to voice that and share when you you're overwhelmed and, and you've done too much, right? I mean, you can't we just can't keep, you know swallowing all of this and expect us not to burst at some point.
2: It, exactly. And you know, you put it really well. You know, one of the things that I talk about, I think I put this on social media, maybe on Twitter the other day, is, you know, please take off your superhero capes everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have this culture of like superheroes, you know. I used to love when people would call me a superwoman. Oh my god, Natalie, you're such a superwoman. You are an entrepreneur and a CEO and a mom and you get everything done and all this kind of stuff. You know what? It's hard enough to be human. And my call to everyone, including myself, let's take off our superhero capes. Let's acknowledge that we are human beings. That means we don't have unlimited energy. That means things like self-care, which I define as a skill of fueling your emotional, mental, and physical energy. Let's recognize that is not a luxury. That is not a gift. That is not a soft skill. That is a human need. Let's all acknowledge that... Uh, Just because we love our jobs, as many of us do, doesn't mean we have unlimited energy to do them. Let's acknowledge that we're human beings and we can't feel good all the time. And we have all kinds of difficult emotions. And the more that we can practice being open with each other, the more that we can support each other and the less surface acting we have to do, which is a term in psychology for when we pretend to feel good, when we don't, it's a huge drain on our energy. And so I think we're at this point in time where... Um, I feel like we have an opening. We have a little bit of a crack in this culture of hustle and go, go, go and superhuman entrepreneur profiles. And, you know, look at all these leaders who never rest. Like I'd like to see profiles of leaders who rest and who do things outside of work and who acknowledge their humanity. I think we're as you said, we have an opportunity to shift. Um, people have asked me often, you know, do I think that my burnout and what I went through, did I need that to happen to shift how I was? And my answer is in my case, I think I, I needed something big um, to stop me in my tracks. But We all, you know, the human brain loves inertia because it's easier to just keep going the way you're going, even when you're suffering, the brain just keeps going. So I think we all need an interruption of inertia, what I call it to change. And I think the pandemic has given us that So now we have a choice. What do we do? Like, what do we all individually and collectively do? And my focus is on the individual. You know, this is where my focus is. I teach, you know, and I do work with a lot of companies and teams, but always focus on teaching these individual skills. And individually, we have an opportunity to prioritize our well being, our emotional fitness, and to recognize that it is a non negotiable ingredient in our success and impact, not something extra.
0: I think, you know, just the act of showing up sometimes with everything that's gone on and how our life's in a washing machine, that that makes us all superheroes in a way, just showing up um, mm-hmm. versus, like you say, uh, um, actually showing off all the different things because it does put so much stress. One one of the things that I did in my, my self-work that has helped me greatly, and you talk about it in the book, is just the... Uh, um, more supportive self-talk and the value mm. of that versus, you know, because we can be our own worst enemy, our own worst critic. Yes. How do you practice that? What are some skills that our listeners can take away to be a bit more supportive with what goes on b- between the years?
2: Yeah, well, I love I love this area and this question. It's one of the core themes and skills in my book. You know, for me, um, it was right as I was just starting to find my way out of my burnout that for the first time in my life I was 40. Um, I actually became aware of how I treated myself and how I talked to myself, and that awareness was really awful at first. I just want to be honest; like, I it, it was it was horrible. The voice in my head—it was some kind of mix of a never happy drill sergeant, you know, more, 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 not enough, not enough, give me a hundred more, and like the harshest critic. It's almost like there was this person in my head who was constantly looking out for how I wasn't good enough or not doing this well enough. And that awareness is the first step. And so one of the first um, practices that I do invite um, the listeners to, it's a very simple practice. It's a question. What is the relationship that you have with yourself? And that guides our self-talk. And um, the answer is, you know, I ask this question in workshops and keynotes, and often the question brings up some difficult answers, but that awareness is really powerful because once you become aware That you are very harsh towards yourself or you're constantly criticizing yourself. Awareness gives you choices so you can shift. And for me, what I began to practice, and I had a lot of resistance to this at first. I just want to be really honest. Like it's not like a switch, but to practice self-compassion. And self-compassion is a term that I used to misunderstand. I hated it because I thought that it meant, oh, however I am is great. I never have to change or improve. And I hated that. Like, I was afraid it would make me a lazy sloth, but that's not it at all. Self-compassion means you treat yourself like you would a friend. It means you recognize you're a human being. You can't do things perfectly all the time or ever. And most importantly, self-compassion intends to reduce your own struggling and suffering. And so talking, learning to talk to yourself in a self-compassionate way, there's tons of research that shows it actually improves motivation. It helps you work harder. It helps you work through failure. And so I developed this practice for myself, which I do share in the book which just to switch, shift from harsh to kinder self-talk using self-compassion. And it's very simple. So when you become aware that you are talking to yourself in a negative, harsh way, and we all know what that voice sounds like, take a moment, take a pause, feel grateful that you notice the awareness is big. And then imagine you are talking to someone you really care about. I usually use my daughter, Mia, who's 17 for this practice, but imagine someone you really love, a, a dear friend or your partner or your child. And rephrase what you just said to yourself in that harsh way as if you're talking to them. And it's incredible what happens when we do that because we can say the same criticism. We just do it in a constructive way. We can say the same thing. We just do it with um, less struggle attached to it, less judgment attached to it. And so this practice, again, when you become aware you're being um, harsh towards yourself and the way you're talking to yourself, pause recognize, wow, this is awesome. I noticed. And then imagine you're talking to a really good friend and rephrase what you just said to yourself as if talking to them.
0: That's a great, a great example and great, uh, something very actionable. I appreciate that. One of the other things that you, you speak about in the book is, um, something I've never heard about, uh, or I've never seen in, in, um written about emotional whiteboard and mm. you know, how to practice sharing that in work and in life. It's something, I think I do a better job personally with my check-ins with my partner to let her know where I am, or if there's something stressing me out so it doesn't just hit her upside the head, you know, like mm. what's going on. I try, I do that better at home, I think, but at work, I struggle because I not to be seen as weak or not. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't want to act as if you're burnout, but how do you, you know, so a, what is an emotional whiteboard? Yeah. And then B um, how can you put that into practice? Um, so it actually can help enhance your relationships and, and help you avoid burnout.
2: Yeah, well, I love that you zeroed it on that. You probably haven't heard of it because I made it up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't make up the, the concept. We all, as human beings, we all share our emotions with other people. Your emotions are contagious. I used to think I had the best poker face. Like I used to think that no matter how I felt, I could come to work and I could just put on the. I called it the positive, confident leadership mask. You know, if you search stock photos for leadership, like you get a lot of it, like the fake smile. But the reality is, one of the things we are best at as human beings is sensing each other's emotions. And so the idea of an emotional whiteboard is exactly that, that you all, every single one of you listening right now has a whiteboard. It's hanging in front of you and on it, your feelings, your emotions, what your energy is like right now, that's what's written on it, regardless of how well you think you're covering that up. So we're all aware and sensing each other's feelings. But here's the thing. Other people see your emotional whiteboard with kind of fuzzy glasses. So they can kind of sense like, oh, Natalie seems a little tense today, but they don't know why. They don't know what's going on. And what happens when you don't acknowledge what's on your emotional whiteboard? It causes a lot of struggle in other people because they start to make up stories because it's uncertain. So, you know, if I don't acknowledge why I'm tense or why I'm sounding a little down today, my colleagues might think, oh my God, is she mad at me? She's mad at me. Did I do something? You know how we all get. And so, one of the core practices of great leadership and core practices, I think, of being an awesome human in the workplace and personally is to acknowledge. What's on your whiteboard? By that I don't mean that you should go to work and tell everyone all your feelings all the time. Not at all. That's for your best friend. That's that's not for work. But context, right? So um when you and I started this interview, we didn't record this part, but one of the things I told you was, you know, I had my, my book launched yesterday. I'm so exhausted, right? I, I told you that because I know I'm sounding a little less like energetic than I usually am. And so that's all it is. So the practice that I invite everyone to consider and to practice is just give context, right? I have a, one of the doctors from Massachusetts general hospital, which is a hospital here um, in Boston um, is uh, went through my leadership program. And she shared the other day how she did this. And I just want to share this example. It brings it all Full circle. So she was running late for rounds with her residents. And this doctor, by the way, she's a mom. She was on the front lines of coordinating Boston's COVID response. So her job is really stressful. I think we can all acknowledge that. She was running late. Her nanny was late. She had to take her daughter to daycare. So she had a really like, you know, up and down morning. And she was coming into rounds with her residents. She was running late. And she said, I knew I was coming in hot. And that was her, you know, she was just all over the place. So she said, she ran in and she just saw their faces and they were just like, oh my God, what's going on? What's going on? And so she said, I paused and I was like, okay, acknowledge what's on your emotional whiteboard. So she said, Hey, everyone, I just want to let you know, I had this really tough morning. It has nothing to do with you. And she said, she just felt this exhale, collective exhale, because they didn't have to waste their energy trying to figure out like, is she mad at me? What's going on? she created trust. They connected as human beings. That is the power of acknowledging our emotions at work. And then she said, you know, what would be really helpful is if we had really great rounds together. And she said it was the best rounds they've ever had. This is the power of acknowledging your emotional whiteboard at work. It builds trust. It creates an opportunity for you to connect with your colleagues as a human being. And I get that it's vulnerable and I get that it's scary, but remember, you don't have to tell. give a whole TED Talk about your feelings. Just one sentence. Just give people context. Ask yourself, what would be helpful for my colleague to know about how I'm feeling so that we can really connect and there's trust and they don't have to waste their energy to struggle?
0: I love that. You don't have to give a TED Talk about what's going on. Like
2: you can do that with your best friend. Yeah,
0: absolutely. 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 All right. Time for just a, a couple more questions. Um, and this one is just from the frame of a leader um, for organizational leader, uh, uh, you know, somebody big or small, where, wherever they are, how can they nurture, you know, or create an environment that, that helps people feel more, more, uh, psychologically safe at work. Mm. How, what can, what are the steps that a leader can do to just, just serve their people in this, this different way mm. in, in a necessary way?
2: Yes. You know, and t- two essential steps and the first is to practice, you know, one of the core things, um, that I learned as a leader that I you know work with a lot of leaders is you can't teach what you don't practice. And so the most important thing for you as a leader is to practice acknowledging what's on your emotional whiteboard, sharing not just the good feelings, but your challenges. So being actually open on your own gives permission to everyone you lead to do the same. So the first and most important thing is to practice this on your own. But the second is, To create opportunities for people on your team to be able to be open with you and to just listen and create that safety without judgment, without jumping in to fix things. And I teach this practice to leaders that I work with. And um, just like what we just talked about, acknowledging what's on your emotional whiteboard, do this as a team right? At a weekly team meeting, begin, go around, everyone say one sentence about what's on their emotional whiteboard. You know, some teams do this like red, green, uh, yellow about their feelings. I'm not a fan because that doesn't give me context, right? If I say my feelings are red, does that mean I'm angry or exhausted? I don't know. It doesn't give context. So go around to share one thing that's on your emotional whiteboard. Do this as a team. You know, there's tons of research that shows that especially during times of change and uncertainty, uh (laughs) uh-huh, like, current environment, right? The definition of our current reality, especially during those times, uh, leaders who practice this kind of emotional openness and create a safe space for their teams to do the same, create psychological safety, create a sense of trust, and actually are most effective at leading their teams through challenges.
0: So if there was one thing that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today um, that could really have an impact on their lives right away, what would that be?
2: You can't give what you don't have as a human, as a leader, as a parent, you cannot give what you don't have. If you are not cultivating your own emotional fitness, if you're not fueling your energy, if you're not learning how to be more compassionate towards yourself, you cannot give that to others. And that's not for lack of trying, and it's not for lack of care or intention. The way we treat others is rooted in how we treat you ourselves. And so if you truly want to be a servant leader, have a positive impact on others, you have to begin with yourself.
0: Natalie Cogan, The book is called The Awesome Human Project. Uh, if people want to dig a little bit more into you uh, and, and find out some more, where would you send them?
2: NatalieKogan.com. Very easy. And there's lots to dig on, including videos and all the five emotional fitness skills. Anything you could want, NatalieKogan.com.
0: Natalie, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Blanchard Leadership
2: awesome questions. Really grateful for your thoughtful questions and grateful to be here. Thank you.
0: And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play, or wherever you're listening, and please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard.
1: Chad, I just loved your interview with Natalie Kogan. I mean, you out there, listen again to the title of her book, The Awesome Human Project. Listen to this, break free from daily burnout, struggle less and thrive more, Uh, at work and in your life. Wow. You know, because a lot of us are all trying to do too much. I mean, I do this all the time. And uh, so what happens is that you aren't your own best friend. And what she's really saying in so many words is be your own best friend. Stop trying to be a superhero. Uh, Get in touch with uh, the reality of what condition you're in and practice good self uh, you know, compassion uh, and share with people what's on your emotional whiteboard. I just love that. Can you imagine? She's suggesting it at meetings that you have, you start off by going around and everybody shares something that's on their emotional whiteboard. You know, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. My child did this, or I feel uh, overwhelmed because of this, or I'm feeling that, or that. And just have everybody share something because we're all uh, potential people who are beating ourselves up. And uh, what you resist in life persists. And if you identify what's bothering you in the very process, I remember uh, it, it's often said it will go away. So thanks, Chad. Thanks, thanks Natalie. Uh, I would recommend you get this book. And as she said, it's not a book. You read, it's a book you do. So bless you, Natalie. Keep up the good work. And Chad, you're not all that bad either.